the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul comes to Ephesus where he meets a group of disciples of John the Baptist who have not yet heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. The title of the message is The Missing Link. Acts 19. We left off in Acts chapter 18 with the account of Apollos, how he came to Ephesus and he spoke fearlessly in the synagogues there about Jesus being the Messiah. But we also saw he didn't go any further than that. He didn't plant a church before being pulled aside by Aquila and Priscilla. And and they, of course, instructed him more fully in the ministry of Christ and what he had accomplished on the cross. And so soon after that meeting with Aquila and Priscilla, he leaves for Greece. And so a very small group of those who had been listening at the synagogue, uh, hearing Apollos, they gave their lives to Christ and they began to meet together. But of course they have no shepherd. (laughs) And and so this is how a lot of churches start. You get a a group of believers who are in love with Jesus. They want to grow together. So they seek a pastor to feed them God's word. And when Paul returns to Ephesus, he finds this group and it's a great match. These people love the Lord. They're they're brand new believers and Paul's excited and, and they match each other up. But immediately upon interacting with these guys, Paul realizes something is missing to their Christianity. That sounds awful. Like when, when you read it, it is, he realizes there's something missing. And, and, and that, that sounds awful, that there's an, a possibility that as a Christian, Christ has given me all things, and yet I might not have entered into all those things. I don't want that to happen in my life, do you? I don't want that. I want my walk to be full, not missing a single link in all that God has for me. And my heart is the same for you guys. And so this morning, I pray that as we look at the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon these believers in Ephesus, that that we would have nothing missing in our lives either. So Acts 19, verse 1. Now it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, so he having gone that way, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus and he found certain disciples. Now Paul coming through the upper coast, remember he's on his third missionary trip now and he comes to the middle of Asia Minor, what we would call Asia Minor, and and all those churches he had planted. And then it says he comes through the upper coast. So he, he went the inland route. He didn't travel the usual Roman road west that went through Colossae and 
Laodicea. We see the letter to Colossae, the Colossians later on. Uh, he had never been there actually though. Um, and then Laodicea of course is mentioned in Revelation. So there were Christians there, but he hadn't gone that way and he, he doesn't take that route this time. He took the more direct route through the Caster Valley to get to Ephesus. And here we find him in this great city of Ephesus. It was the capital and chief city of the province, the Roman province of Asia. And one of the largest theaters in the world, seating almost 25,000 people, had this beautiful, magnificent central road that ran through the entire city all the way down to the harbor because it was there on the coast. That whole road was 35 feet wide, lined with marble columns the entire way. It's it's a a beautiful thing. Um, And now its position on the coast in Asia uh, made it a, a conglomeration of all these different cultures. So you had Roman power present, Greek culture and philosophy was huge, but you also had oriental superstition. And so the temple of Artemis was one of the largest things that would catch your eye if you walked through Ephesus. It was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Now, Artemis being the Greek version of that goddess, the Romans conquered the city in Ephesus in 130 BC, so they renamed it to the temple of Diana, which if it sounds familiar, if you've read ahead, then you'll know we're going to become acquainted with that a little bit later in this chapter, not today. Now, it mentions here that he found certain disciples. Now, if you studied your Bible a little bit and you've you've, read some things about this passage, you understand that there's a lot of debate over this passage. Cessationists like to try to use this passage to say that the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not for today. And then, you know, of course, those who come from our bent, we tend to look at this as a strong text for why we believe what we believe. One group says these aren't real believers, and the other group says, well, of course they are. I think the introduction of Apollos in chapter 18, who comes to Ephesus and then leaves to never be heard of again in Acts, in fact, not really a whole lot in the rest of the Bible, makes it clear that these are believers in Christ through his teaching. There's no other reason to introduce Apollos at the time that Acts does if that's not the case. Apollos just kind of comes out and he says, hi, and then he's gone. It doesn't tie in with Paul's story at all unless... There's some tie into this. And so whether or not that's the case, I think we'll prove that these guys are believers very clearly through the rest of this passage. And so in finding them, he's spending time with them and he notices something's missing. They're devout, but they're lacking in a joy, lacking a radiancy, lacking a boldness that pervaded the rest of the church. And so he asks them a question. He says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, sadly, this happens to many Christians as well. They get saved. They know they should obey God. They want to do the right things, but they never really experience his power in their life. And if that describes your walk this morning, your Christian walk, then there's great hope found in this passage. Now, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Literally, it means, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you had believed? So it's making it clear that they had made a decision to believe in something prior to this point. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit at that time? Now, you might be saying, well, hold on, time out, Will. Doesn't the Holy Spirit come inside of us the moment we believe? Yes, he does. Paul taught these very Christians at Ephesus this truth in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, when he said this, in whom you also trusted 
after that you heard the word of truth, that is the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, or like a a down payment, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. The moment we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells us. He comes and he lives inside of us and he begins the process of making us more like Christ. That's what we call sanctification. Every single believer, that happens to them the moment they're born again and that work and process will go and continue until the day you die or the Lord returns for you and you are glorified. Now, when they answer... And so Paul, of course, knowing that, having taught that, in asking this question, he has to be talking about some other relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, their answer is very telling. They said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be or there is present or given a Holy Spirit. We have not so much as heard if the Holy Spirit was given or present with us yet. This is the same exact verb that was used in John 7, verse 39. We read in our scripture all the way to 38. But in 39, it says, But this spoke he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. That's the same phrase that's used there that is used here in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 2. So literally means when we got saved, we weren't told that the Holy Spirit had been given or was present with us yet. We didn't, nobody told us about that. And the reason I bring this up is because every Jew knew about God's spirit from the scriptures they grew up on. These are not Jewish people going, oh, we never even heard of a Holy Spirit. If they read any of the Old Testament, they would know about God's spirit brooding upon the waters. They would know about God's spirit filling the prophets and filling the kings, about Saul, how he was filled with the spirit and he prophesied. They would know about all those things. They would know about God's spirit, how God said, my spirit will not always strive with man in Genesis chapter six. They knew about that. They knew of God's spirit. But in the Old Testament, God's spirit would come upon someone, usually a prophet or a warrior or a king, for a specific task. And when that task was done, God's spirit would depart. That's why David prayed. Remember, he said, take not thine Holy Spirit from me, right? Because I need this. I can't be the king that I need to be if you don't have your spirit empowering me and resting upon me. And the Old Testament, God's spirit didn't permanently empower all of his people, let alone live inside of them. In fact, Moses longed for the day when that would be possible. You remember when he needed help? And so God sent him, said, get these 70 guys and, and I'll take of the spirit that I put on you and I'll put it on them. And then a couple guys, most of them prophesied right there in the tabernacle, but then two guys went out of the camp and they started doing something a little different. And Joshua came to him and said, Moses, you tell those guys to stop. They're stealing your thunder. And Moses said, I wish God would put his spirit upon all his people, that they all would prophesy. That was his desire, but that was not the way it was under the old covenant. But on Pentecost, Peter quoted Joel chapter two to declare that that's exactly what happened. Remember, God is now pouring his spirit out upon who? All flesh, all flesh. And then in Acts chapter two, verse 38, after he explained what was going on and those people who were listening, they were pricked in the heart and they said, what do we do? 
In Acts 2.38, Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you shall receive the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Something changed at that point. Something changed. Now God's spirit would come and he would indwell us. Now his power could be available to us at any time. The idea of the Holy Spirit's presence to empower us as believers was so important to the early church. So much so that their answer completely baffled Paul. I mean, Paul, he's going to turn in verse three and he says, what were you baptized into then? I mean, he's like, where do I even begin? I mean, how do you expect to do God's work in your own strength? He realized why something was missing. Paul had had his own experience of being filled with the Spirit shortly after his salvation. In Acts chapter 9, verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered into the house where Paul was, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul. You don't call somebody a brother unless they're already saved, right? And not like we do in our day. Hey, bro, you know? That's not what's going on. Hey, Brother Saul, you are, you're with me. You're a believer like me. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto you in the way as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So obviously there is something different that occurs either simultaneous to or after we are saved and the spirit comes to live inside of us. Luke records the story of Philip. Remember, he went down to Samaria. He went down to Samaria and he preached the gospel there. People are getting saved. Demons are being cast out. This is incredible revivals taking place. And these people who are getting saved, they get baptized. Water baptized. It's an awesome time. Well, then what happens? News comes to the church at Jerusalem. And so the church at Jerusalem sends Peter and John down to what? to pray for them to receive the empowering of the Holy Ghost after their salvation. It says, now in the apostles, this is Acts 8, 14 through 17, if you're taking notes. Now in the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent to them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And then it explains, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You don't baptize people who are not saved. So they had not been empowered by the spirit yet. So then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you a question. I don't know about when you got saved, but I didn't call the elders to come lay their hands on me for salvation. But on the day I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, they did. There's a different experience. And so... Paul, he's, you know, he's baffled. He says, I'll just begin at the start. Verse three, unto what then were you baptized? On what basis is what that means? On what basis were you baptized? And they said unto him, John's baptism. So their answer shows they have the same deficiency Apollos did. They knew John the Baptist's message that the Messiah had come. They knew they needed to repent and put their faith in Christ. They'd been water baptized in preparation for this, but they'd never been baptized in the name of Jesus, nor had they been taught that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to baptize us with fire, just like John the Baptist had taught. Remember in Matthew, when the Pharisees came and he said to him, you brood of vipers, not exactly, you know, uh, what you probably hear from most pulpits today when you have visitors. Anybody new here today? Now you're scared. And he told them, you know, the ax is laid to the root. But then at the end, he said, 
But he who is coming, whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That was what John taught. They had not experienced that yet. These believers knew enough to get saved, but not enough to live it out supernaturally. And so Paul explains the rest of the story to them, just like Aquila and Priscilla did for Apollos, verse four. So then said Paul, well, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, real quick, this is the last mention of John the Baptist in the New Testament. And thus John's desire is fulfilled. Remember what he desired? Remember they came to him, the Pharisees came to him and said, hey, uh, you know, Jesus' disciples are baptizing more people than you are. And what did John conclude with? Man, that makes me happy. I must decrease. He must increase, right? Well, this must have been a special moment then for him in heaven to hear about and say, I've passed from the scene and they're all going to Jesus. Paul obviously explained the significance of baptism in Christ to them, water baptism, and why they needed to make that public declaration of their faith and understanding that changed everything for them. So it says when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Christ Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Now we have to admire their immediate obedience. They hear about, okay, well, let's get baptized. I, 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 I grew up in church, you know, I don't need to do that. I think I got baptized. I think, I think something happened, you know, and... Can you remember when you first started to learn about the Lord and all he'd done for you on the cross? Do you remember the first time you started to understand what it meant that your sins were forgiven? That's what first love looks like. They didn't care. They didn't care they'd already gone through John's water baptism. That's what he did? All our sins are washed away? We stand clean before God? And we get to tell everybody about it publicly? Where do we sign up? (laughs) Immediate obedience on their part. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. My commandments are not grievous. They're not a burden when love is the motivation. Now, well, I believe it's clear that these guys were believers when Paul found them. If that's not true, they're believers by the end of verse five. Non-believers don't get baptized, okay? So any way you shake it out, you cannot argue that what happens in chapter six occurs at their salvation. It occurs subsequent. We don't know if it occurred 10 minutes after their baptism. We don't know, but it occurs after their salvation. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they had a pool right there where Paul explained all this to him. He said, let's dunk them down and get it done. But I don't know know if it was a couple days, a week later, an hour later. You know, I don't know how long it took to go get them baptized. And then how long after Paul is going to lay his hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. But anyway, you shake it out. It is subsequent. And so verse six gets back to Paul's original issue with them. They were lacking the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so he deals with it here. Verse six. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on or upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And this is where everybody gets the heebie-jeebies and freaks out. There is a consistent thread throughout the book of Acts. This is the same thing Ananias did with Paul, right? He laid his hands on him, right? And the Bible says that he was filled with the Spirit. Peter and John laid their hands on the Samaritans, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And now Paul prays for them here, lays his hands on them, prays for them to be immersed or baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like John the Baptist prophesied, just like Jesus prophesied. When he told him, he said, 
Hey, he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was their born again moment. They're saved. They received. I believe that if Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit, he's not just speaking metaphorically, okay? That he means what he says. They receive the spirit of God inside and they're born again. But then he told me, he said, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you have been endued with power from on high, until the promise of my father comes upon you and you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the spirit did exactly that. The spirit came upon them, it says. While the spirit is with every human being convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that's believer, unbeliever, When we get saved, he comes into us. He comes into those who receive Christ the moment they believe. And at that moment, he begins the work of making us more like Jesus from the inside out. But he doesn't stop there. The spirit of God also wants to come upon us in order that he might continue Jesus's work through us. And that's why the Holy Spirit is so prevalent through the book of Acts. Remember the theme of the book of Acts is what? Jesus is still working, right? He's still working. Now he's ascended into heaven, but he's not done. He's working through his church and he's working through his church by his spirit. Is he working through you? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to come upon you that you might be empowered? I don't want my life story to be Will is still working. That's a very short story and it doesn't have a happy ending. I need the power of God's spirit to rest upon me so that my story You need it so that your story will be Jesus is still working. Amen? We need that. We can't look at something like this and because there's crazy shenanigans that go on in some churches out there and just say, I don't know what that is, verse 8, you know? We can't do that. We have to ask ourselves the question. We must be students of the word and say, God, what do you have for me? I love what I heard a pastor say. He said, well, if you don't want it, give it to me. Say, Say, Lord... Whatever portion I don't believe in and I don't want, send it Will's way. I'll take it. Because I can't do it on my own. I don't even want to try to do it on my own. You know, sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person for the first time, they're also given gifts or gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes nothing. Six different times the book of Acts lists this experience where after someone's salvation, they are prayed for, they receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. And each time, guess what? Something different happens. Does the spirit give the gift of tongues or prophecy or both when a person receives his empowering? Maybe, sometimes he might. It's really up to him more than any of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, it says the spirit distributes his gifts as he wants, when he wants. We don't command it. Can't have an expectation for it. My job is to simply to be open to whatever God wants to do in my life. I never dreamed God would make me a pastor. (laughs) I wouldn't have dared to ask. In fact, I was telling a buddy of mine, we had a mutual friend and we were teens together. And uh, I remember when I started first feeling a call to be a pastor and I I I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, go go ask my friend. I mean, you got the wrong number. He's the talented one. He's the, and he was. I mean, he was an amazing musician, very charismatic individual. All the girls liked him. I thought he's the guy. I wouldn't have dared to ask, but that's what the Lord wanted. And I believe the Lord has given me other gifts, just like he's given you gifts. And when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Lord gave me the gift of tongues. I'm so glad he did, because it's been a great aid in my personal prayer life and my personal worship time. Now, if that freaks you out, I have no apology for that. It's biblical. 
I had a, a gal that I knew when I was working at Chick-fil-A and, and she found out I was a pastor and she was all excited. She went to a very conservative church. Um, so she wanted to come and check us out and she wasn't getting fed. And, and, uh, and so she came by and checked us out and man, she, she was just so blessed. And, and she was growing and getting fed and getting plugged in, getting to know people. And I remember one day we were talking and, and she started just bashing anybody that came from any type of a belief that believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I said to her, I said, you know, our church believes in that. She looked at me and said, what? I said, our church believes in that. It's biblical. Now, we're not getting to the weird stuff that maybe some of the stuff you're mentioning, but we believe we still need the Holy Spirit's power today. Oh, well, you don't, you don't, you don't do any of that, do you? And I remember I told her, I said, yes, I do. And I shared my story with her. She never came back to the church and never spoke to me again. You think that's Jesus? That's not Jesus. Those are my gifts. But I bet if we were to go around the room here today, I imagine most of our experiences would be different, just like Acts. Some of you may have had a very emotional experience when the Spirit of God came upon you. Some of you may have had no emotional experience at all. The idea here isn't so much, did you prophesy or did you speak in tongues? The question is this, is the Spirit's power resting on your life? Or are you out there doing it in your own strength? The Bible says that we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't need to be resealed with the Holy Spirit, do we? But it says we need to be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We need with regularity for God to fill us with his spirit, to overflow us with his spirit, that when we interact with others, that is not the flesh that they're seeing, but it's God's spirit who brings forth what? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. We need that. And without it, we're not going to have an impact. We're going to be just like these Christians here who love the Lord, are saved, but there's something missing. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.